Thanks to Roche Products, this podcast is the next in our Retinal Reality series. Dogs are very well known as man's best friend, but many remain at home while we rush off to work all day. In celebration of National Take Your Dog to Work Day, we have Marisa Jürgen with her very special companion who accompanies her everywhere she goes, including to work. Marisa, what is your eye condition and how did you first become aware of having a visual problem? Moody Karen, I have cone rod dystrophy and it's actually interesting. I have been diagnosed with a range of different retinal conditions since my initial diagnosis in 1996 in Santiago, Chile as having best disease. Since then, I was diagnosed with Stargardt's cone dystrophy and also then later cone rod dystrophy. And this was then confirmed with a genetic test. And I I can recommend to everybody that is listening to this podcast to have a genetic test because many of these conditions manifest clinically very similarly. And that is why I've had such a lot of diagnoses. And how it affects my life is it was Initially, not at all. To be honest, I was shocked when I was diagnosed. My sister was diagnosed first. Her ophthalmologist then told her it's probably genetic, so she should ask her siblings to have tests done as well. So I went off to the ophthalmologist in Chile, and it was quite a process because I didn't have any retinal specialists in the entire country. So I had to wait about six months to get a retinal specialist to come out from the United States, from the John Hopkins Institute, to come and have me diagnosed. So I was not expecting to be diagnosed as a positive, and uh, I was quite shocked. So I had no symptoms at that stage, except that I felt a little bit light sensitive. I used to want to drive with my sunglasses on. And that was the only thing that I could say that was different than the the average person. But as soon afterwards, I started noticing small things like, you know, I would always want to go indoors to read a newspaper. Couldn't read anything outdoors. I was very light sensitive. And I uh, later then found that I needed to enlarge words. And then later I needed to change the background Uh, at that stage. I like black backgrounds with white writing. And then later I thought, well, no, no, this, even with this and even with enlarged, now I need a larger screen. So I've got like a huge screen. And then later I got one of the widescreen televisions (laughs) as my screen. And then one of my friends who was also in Retina, South Africa, told me, he said, Marisa, the best thing that I ever did was to one day recognize, to depend on my sight, is too hard. And then he told me and suggested to me to look at text-to-speech software. So I initially used Windows Eyes and was very sad when they stopped Windows Eyes. And then later I went to NVDA and currently I'm using JAWS. I also use a voiceover on my phone and currently I can't use Sight anymore for any work purposes. You have always been such an inspiration, always going for the latest technology. And we're not surprised that you got a guide dog because that's just the kind of person you are. And you have a very delightful dog, Dottie, and you take her not only to work, but everywhere. How has Dottie affected your life? 
it made a huge difference. Many people always ask me, why would you go for a guide dog? Why not only use a long cane? Now, a long cane is excellent. I recommend everybody is also losing sight and needs help with mobility to go and do a long cane mobility training course because it is really great. But a guide dog gives you more independence. And I can illustrate this by my own experience. I wanted to apply for a guide dog already in 2011. So I applied in 2011 here at South African Guide Dogs. But one of the requirements before you get a guide dog is that you need to know how to use a cane. Because if your guide dog is ill or your guide dog can't work on a day for some reason, you need to have an option. So they require that you do the guide dog long cane training initially. And then after you've done that successfully and you're a successful cane user, then you can uh, graduate to a guide dog. So at that stage, there was a shortage of mobility trainers in South Africa. Because of that, I had never managed to get a guide dog here. And then we moved to London where I immediately applied for a guide dog and had to also do cane training. Uh, the cane training, which I did, was a six-month training course, and it was very, very extensive. So I was, I'm a really, really proficient cane user now. But even with that, I fell off the platform at an underground station in London while using my long cane. And that is what the problem is with a long cane. It's great for any route that you know well, but it's not good if you do new routes because you need to have markers, which tells you now you must turn left, now you must turn right. If you don't know a route and you find a marker, it doesn't tell you anything. It just tells you there's a marker. And you think if you think you are here, then that marker can totally give you the wrong information. A guide dog will stop. They won't walk into a road. They won't fall off a platform like I did and fell on the tracks on the live train tracks. A guide dog gives you much more independence. What an amazing experience. Having trained with your dog in the UK, how would you say that compares with South Africa? It's very much similar. All the countries that belongs to the International Guide Dog Federation follow similar training regimes. But in London, there is some trainers that follow the, a very new training regime, which is called STEP. And STEP is a training regime which makes use of more humane ways of working with your dog. Normally, what was believed is that a dog is a part of a pack and you should be the leader of that pack and the dog must see you as the leader of that pack. That theory apparently has been debunked. And now they believe that a dog can be part of your family, just like your brothers and sisters, your mum and your dad or your children or your husband, and that you will treat that dog the same way that you would train your children by rewarding them for good behaviour. So if you see me in the road, you will see that I always have a bag with me with treats in it, because every time Dottie finds a curb, I give her a, a biscuit. And that is to say, thank you, Dottie, for finding this curb. And Dottie then, of course, is motivating to find every curb. And I cannot trust her that she will find every curb and I won't fall or inadvertently walk into a, uh, into a busy road. 
she will find each curve or this or even each uh, road that goes off you know because how would I know for instance I'm walking maybe to the library and I know it's four blocks down if she's just walking and walking and walking I wouldn't know that I've crossed a road so she's even even if there's no curb she will stop at the entrance of one of the blocks and she will tell me here's a new road and then I'll give her a, a little biscuit and I will just say carry on and I will count in my head okay first block I need another three blocks and then I must turn right or left that's how you walk with a guide dog that's amazing Marissa and I've seen you in action with your wonderful Dottie. Now, can you advise people what people should do to communicating with their employer or in the general public about bringing your dog to work or everywhere you go? Yeah, access refusals is one of the biggest issues that guide dog owners face. And it's even worse when you have to apply for a new job that many uh, guide dog owners us worried and might just go with their cane and not tell the employer that they have a guide dog or they became blind while working and don't know how to communicate with the employer about the fact that they now have a guide dog and how this guide dog needs to be accommodated. It's very important to be upfront with your employer. It's also important to understand what the requirements of your own dog is because some dogs are very good in busy environments and some of these dogs can work in, in environments like open plan offices etc etc or places where lots of public come in and out but not all dogs so it's important that you explain this to your employer and sometimes you will need to be put in an office by yourself because the dog will be distracted all the time. <laughs> I Just as, a, as an antidote, I had a, a friend who was um, a nurse who was a guide dog owner. And she said it, it, it was just impossible because all her co-workers would want to come and pet the dog, bring them treats. So it's also important to tell, to explain to your, your uh, co-workers how to treat your dog because it is very, very difficult for a, a guide dog owner if their dog is so distracted by everybody coming into your office, wanting to pet the dog, wanting to give the dog a treat, because most of the guide dogs are on very strict diets, as it's very important that a guide dog doesn't get overweight. When they are overweight, they can easily hurt themselves they can also become a little bit lazier and don't want to work. And it's, it can also be dangerous for them to go on long walks if they are very much overweight. So we target the weight of our dogs very, very carefully. We also feed them very carefully. And, and some of our dogs, when they are distracted, aren't able to guide the blind person because they they get so distracted, they want to go and play with this person that's giving them treats and things. And then they can't sort of like switch off from that and then switch on to guide dog mode. So, yes, so always talk to the guide dog owner and just ask him or her, can I pet the dog? Because some dogs you can pet all that you wish. I mean, mine you can. She is brilliant. One moment she can be pet, next moment she, she can go off and work perfectly. But that's not every dog. What amazing advice. Thank you so much. And 
what you've said has made us think again about the unfortunate incident not long ago of an Uber driver refusing to allow a guide dog into his vehicle. Have you ever had a problem like that? Not in South Africa. To be honest, it is a worldwide issue. In London, I had a very awful situation. I was actually at work and I had a personal assistant who booked the Uber for me on the app. So I didn't book the Uber myself. She booked the Uber on the app for me. I don't think it was an actual Uber. It was similar like Lyft, you know, a similar service, but not Uber. I can't remember which one, but it was in London. I, I actually went outside with Dottie and the person arrived and parked in the parking lot. So I, I, of course, thought, because it was a small parking lot, you know, all the cars there uh, were mostly of the employees. So I was sure this must be my taxi. So I walked towards the car that just arrived and then went to go and speak to the driver. And the driver then told me he's not a taxi driver and drove away. My personal assistant, who was watching this through the window, because she thought I was just going to get in, saw the car drove off and she of course could see the the number plate so she ran out she said marisa that's your taxi i said he just told me he's not a taxi driver so she went on to there's a telephone number for you know emergency or whatever she called them the guy came back 10 minutes later very grumpy picked me up with the dog said no he doesn't want to take guide dogs because they make his car dirty and he needs to value it completely the only reason why, you know, he came back to come and pick me up is because I had a personal assistant with eyes that could see that it was actually the driver. And that happens often with blind people because, of course, you can't verify if it is the, especially if you're on your own, you can't verify it's the that the number plate is the number plate. Uh, you can't you can't verify if this person is a taxi or not. Yes, there needs to be a lot of awareness building done with regards to guide dogs. And the fact that by denying person access to a taxi as a guide dog owner is really discriminating on the basis of disability. And we all know about that, don't we? So I know you've mentioned that you use JAWS at the moment, but what other apps or devices do you find most helpful in your life? Besides, of course, your precious Dottie. Oh, I love using apps and I actually listened to a podcast yesterday and heard of these wonderful new apps that they are designing for smart city technologies. There's apparently a new app and I'm, I'm going to find out about it where you can actually show your phone to a traffic light and it will tell you if it's green, red or yellow. You can actually put it on sort of like a buzzer mode so that it, it will vibrate when it's green. And all that you need to, to have is that the camera sees the traffic light. This is wonderful future technologies. There's also apparently new technologies that's available that's going to make kiosks accessible. I mean, one of the biggest gripes that I have is if you go, for instance, and you want to go and take the car train, you can't you go and use those self-service kiosks because they are not accessible. They haven't got uh, speech-to-text technology that you'd know what's on the screen. So you always have to go and stand in the queue and go and pay at the person who's, you know, sitting there. And, the, and that, of course, everybody that's in front of you in the queue is people that have problems. So it's always a lengthy period to go and recharge your card. And I think by just having those kiosks accessible would make such a difference. 
But currently what I use a lot is I love seeing AI. It is an app initially developed by Microsoft. It's free of charge. It can read letters for you, which I use a lot. It can even read barcodes. One of the biggest problems that I had when I still had low vision is I was often coming home with with shampoo when I wanted to buy conditioner, with conditioner when I wanted to buy shampoo, baked beans with chili in it when I wanted to buy normal baked beans. Because you can find the baked beans, but your eyes is not good enough to see those small print things that it's got chili in, (laughs) that it's conditioner or something like that. This app, it reads the barcode for you and then it can tell you that it is beans with chili in it, you know. So then, you know, no, this is not the right baked beans. I want to rather take the, the, the correct one. But I use it a lot for paper letters, which I still receive because it's frustrating if you get a letter and you're alone at home. You know, it's be something interesting, but you have to now wait for somebody to come home. So it's great to have the Seeing AI app because the Seeing AI app can read the letter for you. And then I also have Be My Eyes on my phone. Be My Eyes is a brilliant app. It works like Zoom, but it's just for blind people. So basically what what I use it for is I often have to travel for work and then I have my suitcase with me. Basically how the Be My Eyes app works, you call the Be My Eyes app, you click on it, and then a volunteer anywhere in the world will answer. They speak all speak English, but you could be talking to somebody in the Philippines or Malaysia or China or wherever. And then you just ask the person to, to help you to open your suitcase. So I would say to him, I need the first one must be a zero. The second one must be a three. And the second, a third one must be a zero. So then they look, you show the camera. They once helped me find the back of my earring because I dropped it and I was alone in the hotel room. So I, I knew it was somewhere on the floor. So I, he, I had my phone like this and they found, they found it for me. And it's brilliant. And it's also a free app. Then I love Wayfinder apps, but I'm not sure which Wayfinder apps work in South Africa. Even just Google Maps works well with the narrator to help me find buildings and things. Yeah, I walk less. You know, I normally get like an Uber to take me to an address, which is easier. Uh, in London, many streets don't even allow access for taxis. So you're often not like dropped in the beginning on the start of a street, and then you have to find the address on your own. So then these Wayfinder apps also helps a lot. So Marisa, it's Claudette again. So Take Your Dog to Work Day is celebrated on June the 23rd. What would you like to say to people regarding visual impairment, dogs, and caring for a dog, and looking out, and using, and being proactive, and making the most of your life with visual loss? I first want to say what a wonderful day to have as International Take Your Dog to Work Day. As a person that always have to take my dog to work, it's just wonderful to have an animal at work. She's my companion, she's my eyes, but she's also my friend. And I think the way that people should see animals and also in the workplace and working animals as well, is that they do contribute a lot to society. The fact that I have a guide dog, which gives me independence is such a brilliant thing. And I know that dogs are now used as therapy animals for people with certain types of conditions and assistance animals. I've actually recently attended an activity at Guide Dogs 
where they showcased all the different assistance animals available. And there was this beautiful little dog who was an assistance animal for a lady who was in a wheelchair. And one of the problems that you have when you're in a wheelchair is it's often carrying your your handbag or getting it from somewhere to somewhere, taking something, putting it down somewhere because it's too low. Then the dog would like take the, the basket from the lady and put it on the floor for her. Things that she wouldn't be able to do is just to far for her to to reach to the floor and then she can even pull the wheelchair when the lady is stuck you know she gets maybe in a little rut the dog would even help by pulling which I thought was so beautiful and so fantastic so animals can be such worthwhile companions and such wonderful work animals as well and we often see them at airports with the security companies and the police They are just wonderful animals and we should encourage people that need to take the animals to work to be able to do it. And hopefully it will make the environment more homely and better for everybody who is there. That's amazing, Marissa. Thank you so much for this interesting podcast. And for people who are interested in mobility generally or in guide dogs, please note that we are having the annual general meeting of Retina South Africa on the 12th of August. And one of our really good guest speakers will be Elizabeth Lowe from Guard Dogs and the O&M School. You can attend in person and ask them questions. And there will also be a link for people out of town. So thank you, Marissa. And give a big hug and squeeze to Dottie from Retina South Africa. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>